We have been in a study in the book of Ephesians. And thanks to Cody for last week for filling in for me on vacation. I realized you really don't have a vacation unless you miss two Sundays. Because I started studying in Miami yesterday. And we were pinned in in Miami yesterday. And delayed for no reason in Miami. So I had to say, I choose joy. I choose joy in the midst of this pain. But we're so glad that you're here. We're going to do a three-part series. We've been in a long book study, but we're going to do a three-part series here called The Way. And I'm going to take the text, and we're just going to go through the text of Psalm chapter 1. Today is Psalm chapter 1. What you want to understand about Psalm chapter 1 is there's two paths, there's two people, and there's two ways. So we're going to talk about the way today. And when we talk about the way, we don't want to say, people say, well, God is the way. The question is not, is God the way? The question is this, is God your way? It's got to be personal to you. So we're going to talk about Psalm chapter 1. Is God your way? Not is God the way. God is the way. He's great. He has already made the provision for you to come into a relationship with him. But is God really your way? Are you on the path of righteousness pursuing an intimate relationship with him? If you have veered off the road, if you're on your own road pleasing yourself today, you can choose to get off of the road you're on and move on to God's road. And on God's road, there is blessing and there is favor because that's who he is. That is his character. So we're going to talk about the way today. And we'll even have to go back in our minds to Genesis. Genesis, you remember Adam and Eve, uh, God made a way for them. They were perfectly spiritually intact with God. Uh, their mind, their will, and their emotions intact with God. And what happened is they lost their way in the garden. Because you, you remember what happened. God said, you can have everything here, but of this you shall not partake. And that's what they did. And then the enemy came and said, oh, don't believe that. You, you, won't, you won't surely die because Genesis 2 says, if you partake of the fruit, you will surely die. Now, they didn't die physically, but they died on the inside spiritually. So they were intact, they were on the way, they were spiritually intact with God in perfect harmony and unity with God, but because of sin and the choice that they made, they lost their way. Now, you and I, because Adam and Eve were marred in sin, we are all born in sin. So all of us are looking for the way. And the way that you find the true meaning to the way is you have to be transferred from the family of Adam into the family of God. And that's only done by a relationship with Jesus Christ. So when we think of the way, Psalm chapter 1, there's 150 psalms, and we're not going through all 150 psalms. But let me just tell you, Psalm 1 launches us into the psalms, and it's a very important psalm. The reason it is, it's not linear. The psalms are not linear. Like you move from point A to B. The Psalms are cyclical. It means there is praise, which we have done, and then praise leads to obedience. Oftentimes in the Psalms, there's obedience, and then it's just followed with praise. But it's cyclical. It's not linear. And so with that in mind, you have to understand what the psalmist is doing in Psalm chapter 1. So the question this morning is not, is God the way? Is God your way? That's the question. Now, I've been on a cruise ship, and people have no idea what they're doing on a cruise ship. They have lost their way. There are people everywhere with yellow shirts that say, ask me anything. And you know what? People 
are so prideful, they will not ask directions. What my wife and I have determined is we call it, they bumble around. That's what they do. They just bumble around with a compass that the ship, it, they give you to tell you all the itinerary. They tell you, this is the front of the ship. This is the aft, the back of the ship. And so, uh, you know, you have this compass and people are walking around bumbling, running into each other and all this because they refuse to go to the one who says, ask me anything and I'll tell you the way. Now, you can take it to a whole nother level when you get back to Miami and you're in the Miami airport. People have doubly lost their way there. They've lost their minds. They are mean, ugly, rude. They, I, there were fights that break out in Miami airport. People, there are still people that say, ask me. Nobody wants to ask. They want to get and do what they want to do because they are in charge of their own life and their own schedule. So Psalm chapter 1, see if you can't make a connection to the man in Psalm 1. When you think about Psalm 1 and you think about the way, you think about somebody, okay, the blessed man, here's the path that he's supposed to go on. Here's what the psalmist does. The psalmist starts with things that you don't do as a blessed man. See, there are things as a Christian that we avoid guilt by association because God is our way. So here's what the text says. Let's just follow it right along. Let's go through it together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So the blessed man. The word blessed there, it, it's a plural of in, intensity there. It means to be blessed. Congratulations to the man who is blessed, who understands that God is his way. The blessed man. You could say it like this. Oh, the blessedness. Oh, the blessed, blessed man. Congratulations to the person. It's man or woman. Congratulations to the person who understands that God is his satisfaction. I want to ask you a question today. Are you satisfied in your life? On a scale of 1 to 10, are you satisfied with, with your life today? Can you honestly say, I could give myself a 10 in this area because I'm absolutely satisfied when I lay my head on the pillow at night, I am blessed because I know the God of the way and I know that he's my way. Are you satisfied? It's kind of like in school when they say, clear the desk off, get a clean sheet of paper out, we're going to do a pop quiz. Well, this is kind of a pop quiz to see if your satisfaction is found in God who is the way. That's what the text says. So notice the text here. It says blessed. So it means uh, the blessed man. If you want to be blessed, you have to know the God who is the blessor. So the God who is the blessor is the one who gives the blessings. He gives the blessings to the man who does not do three things. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. If you want to be miserable, listen carefully. If you want to be a miserable person, then you do these three things that I'm fixing to tell you. God says don't do them, but if you want to be miserable, if you want to be dissatisfied with your life, if you want to be critical and judgmental and live your life under the curse of rebellion, then do these three things. But if you want to find that your satisfaction is in God, then don't do these. I think it's interesting in the text that the psalmist writes, there's three things that you don't do. Because when we think of blessing, we think of things we do. But he says, don't do these things. So see if this marks your life. Number one, blessed is the man, notice the text, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. The idea of the word walk means to do. The blessing that comes to the man in the way that he conducts his life. So there's some things that we don't do because we say that God is my way. 
So when God is my way, there are things that I don't participate in. There are things that I avoid because I don't want to be a part of things that are outside the counsel of the will of God. The text says, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So if you want to be miserable, then you can walk in the counsel of ungodly people. That means that you surround yourself with people who don't respect the Word of God nor love the Word of God. Brother John was talking about this at 9.30, the inspired, infallible Word of God, inerrant Word of God. So when you and I walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, let me tell you what we do walk in. We walk in the truth of God's Word. We get our counsel from the Word of God. Do you understand that? The only counsel that you need and I need in my life is in God's Word. That's it. And the reality is, when most of us go through storms in life, when most of us go through struggles in life, we go to people to get counsel. Now, the Bible does not prohibit us from going to people to get counsel. In fact, it encourages us to get counsel from people. But if you get counsel from ungodly people, you're on a train wreck. You're going to have a disaster. If you want to hear from God, your chances of hearing from God go up if you get counsel from godly people. Do not get counsel from people who don't know the Word of God. Because God is the greatest counselor. And if He is your way, He has a truth specifically for you, and you're to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. So this is important, to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. So I would ask you this morning, how are you walking? Are you getting advice from everybody? Emory used to tell us this when we were in student ministry. Some of the sorriest advice you'll ever get is in the lunchroom at school. Listen, teenagers, if you want to know what it's like to have a godly marriage, get counsel right now in how to date and how to be a godly man or a godly young woman. Don't go to your peers who don't know God and get ungodly counsel. Because if you want to know about marriage, if you want to know about dating, if you want to know about your job, you need to know what God's Word says about all of that. And God's Word is the only counsel that we need. God can use people. He can use people in our life to give us counsel, to confirm what He's doing. But we are never to follow other people's counsel. Listen carefully. We are always to follow God. If other people's counsel line up with what God says, I can say that God has used them to confirm it in my life. But I don't go to other people to tell me what to do, and you shouldn't either, because God is our source. He is our resource, so we go to Him. So people that are miserable, people that don't have a satisfaction in their heart, they go get counsel from everybody, and they get counsel from people that scorn God's Word, don't love God's Word, and don't know God's Word, and then they make a decision, and they wonder why they're not the blessed man or woman that God says is theirs, that is already theirs. So the blessed man walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Let me see if I can explain it like this. You have children and you're going to take them to get ice cream. It's a reward at the end of the day. The blessing of God being your way is already available to you. So if your child says, you know, you promised me ice cream, but they were told early in the week to do their chores... And they say, no, you go, you go take me to get ice cream first. Here's what you do as a parent. No, you do your chore first. I've been tricked before. You do your chore first, 
And then I'll take you to get ice cream. No, 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 mom, dad. I want to get the ice cream first. I promise, I promise, I promise. I double promise, I promise, I promise. I promise I'll do it. No, here's what you do. You delay the blessing, listen, that is already theirs. And it's amazing how quick they'll do their chore when they really see what they're missing. The idea is this. In obedience with God, in, when we walk in the counsel of his wisdom and we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, the blessing is already there. The ice cream is already there. The word of God is already available to us. But we partake of the word of God. And when we partake of the word of God, then we have the blessing and the favor of God's word because God's word's already blessed. Now, if you choose to go another route, the blessing is here, but you have delayed your blessing because the blessing only comes to those who obey the word of God. That's what's important to understand. So notice what he says here. Blessed is the person, happy, inwardly satisfied is the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. This book is a refrigerator for our lives. This is the book. This is God's word. It's a refrigerator for our lives. I remember when I was young, I opened up the refrigerator. My mom told me, don't eat the ice cream. But the cookie dough was in the ice cream. So when I... When I ate the cookie dough, I had to eat the ice cream. So the idea is this book is a refrigerator for our lives. And so we look at this book and we don't shun this book. We don't scorn this book. We build our lives around the truth of God's word. And blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. So blessed is the man who doesn't listen to the counsel of the world, but gets his counsel or her counsel from the word of God. This book is eternal. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. So this is important. So I'm trying to take this slow here, and I want you to get it. You can't walk in the counsel of the ungodly and expect to live a godly life. Godliness and holiness is found in Christ, is found in God. That's his character. That's who he is. So I now match my life up when I walk in his way to who he really is in my life. You say, how much time should I spend in the Word of God? Listen very carefully. It doesn't matter if you spend five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes in the Word of God. The issue is not how much time you spend in the Word of God. The issue is the attitude of my heart and your heart in the time that we spend. And are we willing to do what the Word of God says? If that's two minutes of reading and me obeying the Word of God in two minutes, then I have understood what reading and putting into practice the Word of God is. It's not how much time I spend. It's the attitude of my heart. That's the key to walking with God. This book is a refrigerator for our lives. Some of you today are going to be able to find God as your way through the book, through the revealed will of God right here in his word. This is important. So we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Number two, we don't stand in the path of sinners. The word for path is a word that means the characteristics of a person. How does a sinner stand? A sinner stands all by himself stands in his self-sufficiency or her self-sufficiency. So we're not to stand in the path of sinners. It means not to stand with the characteristics of a sinner. So we don't stand in the path of sinners. We don't say, it's my way. See, that's what a sinner does. I want my way. Listen carefully. God 
Jesus Christ came to die so that you would not have to live eternally in your way. He wants you to find His way. He wants you to find His will. He wants you to find His purpose for your life. Jesus came so we would not have to live in our way. And we could live to say that God is my way because there came a time in my life where I received Jesus as my Savior. He says this, don't stand in the path of sinners. Then he says, nor sits in the seat of scornful. The, the idea of the word here means the word sit or seat in the scornful. It would describe a teacher. A teacher would get in a position of sitting. And a teacher would get in a position of sitting in a chair. And they would share their opinion. And that's what happens with scornful people. They sit in a seat. Listen carefully. And they share their opinion about what should be done. And their opinion is not about God's way, it's about their way. Those of us that are Christians, we are attacked by the media and we are attacked by people because we are sitting in the seat of, around people who sit in the seat and they scorn God. They turn their nose up at God. They say, listen, hey, we believe in freedom of speech except you can't say anything. Let me tell you something. God is my way and great is the God who is the way in me and I will say what God wants me to say and I'll say it with love and I'll speak the truth in love but I don't have to back down because you're scorning God because God is my way and I have a responsibility to stand up for the rights of the unborn and I have a responsibility to do the things that God has called me to do and so you can scorn you can sit you can sit in the seat of the scornful and that's what people do they sit in a seat and they share their opinion but it's never according to God's word it's always about themselves. It's always about moving their agenda forward. But I have a responsibility that I don't sit with them, that I step back and I take my stand, and I don't have to apologize for anything because you didn't offend me. You offended the God in me, and the God in me is alive. And when the God in me comes out of me and I yield and surrender to him, I'm speaking the truth in love. I'm not condemning you, but I'm speaking the truth in love. And I'm telling you that I have built my life upon this being the refrigerator of my life. And I can speak the truth. And we're going to continue to do that here at Sagemore. It doesn't matter who the next pastor is. If the next pastor doesn't speak the truth, walk him out the aisle. It's done. It's over. Forget it. This church has been built on the Word of God. And we'll continue to preach and teach the Word of God in I Connect classes and from the pulpit. Notice what the text says. You don't sit in the seat of the scornful. So it's this idea that someone mocks us. And they say things about God. And then we have an opportunity to say, wait a minute. God is my way. He's not a way. He's the way in my life. So I'm going to speak to the truth that God is my way. And I have a voice. You always have a voice with God. Because it's not your voice. It's God's voice in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He uses cracked pots like me and like you. But he wants to manifest his presence and his power in my life so that he can be lifted up, so that people can see him and not me and not you. So that's what we do in the midst of a world that's actually lost their mind, totally lost their mind, out of control. We can stand firm because we know there are things we don't do. We don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We don't stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Now here's what we do. Lord, help me to unpack this in my own life. But his delight, there's the turning point, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
And in his law, the book, the refrigerator of my life, in his law, he meditates day and night. But his delight, you see, when you delight in something, the word delight means you delight in something so much that nothing distracts you. Can I ask you a question? Are you distracted this morning? Are you distracted this morning? I've been really distracted lately. There are times I can just get so distracted. You know what? When your distraction is there, your delight is gone. He says his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in this book. So God puts his delight in me. When Christ comes to live in my heart, I have all the fullness of God. We've learned that in Ephesians. And so now I delight in a person, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So this is God's word. I love the Lord. So now I'm going to delight in the things that God desires for me to delight in because I used to desire to do the things that I used to desire, which was what I want to do. I want what I want because I want it, because I'm centered all about me. But what happens is, when Christ comes to live in your heart, you leave the I want what I want because I want it, because I've always wanted it, and I can still want it sometimes, and you move to a position of delighting, which means I no longer want what I want, because when I wanted, when I got what I wanted, it really wasn't what I wanted anyway. So now, my delight is not in what I want. Listen, it's in what he wants for me. And he wants me to fall in love with him and fall in love with this word and delight in him. And when you and I delight in him, when we delight in this book, when we delight in this infinite, infinite relationship that we have with the eternal God, then our distraction is very minimal. Some of you today are distracted with all kinds of things. You're shifting your focus over here, and you're shifting your focus over here. Can I encourage you with this word? Delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Get your focus back on God. Get your focus today. Put your focus back on him. Allow yourself to enjoy a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But delight yourself in the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. There was a story of a girl who... She hated math. Anybody else? So she went to college. True story. She went to college, sat on the back row of the math class. Until the professor walked in, he was a young, handsome man. And all of a sudden, the one who hated math started working her way up every session to the front because she started to delight in the one who was teaching the class. And what happened was she delighted so much in this young, handsome professor that they began a relationship and they got married. And she said, you know what? Looking back on it, math's not all that bad. Now listen to me. Math's not all that bad when you delight in a person. God when you delight in God, you'll find out the relationship that he has afforded to you through Jesus Christ is the best relationship that you could possibly have. And you can delight yourself in the law of the Lord. And it is joy. He places his desires in my heart and your heart. So the things that I used to want, I don't want anymore. I used to be driven by these things. I used to live for myself. I used to want everything that I wanted to have. My flesh wanted all kinds of things apart from Jesus. But when Jesus came into my heart, he has satisfied me to the point that I just want to delight in him and I want to love his word. And you know, God is so good to love me even when I don't respond and love him back. Isn't he that way with you? 
You know, even when you become a Christian, you still have a choice. You have a choice. God will give you a choice to love him back. He loves you. He is infinitely in love with you. He has a plan and purpose, but he will let you reject that love, and you don't have to love him back. But when you choose to love him back, and you choose to delight in his law, notice the next part of the text. Here's what the text says. Delight in his law, and on his law he meditates day and night. doesn't say he memorizes. Listen carefully. I'll probably get emails, but I'm, I'm just teaching this text. It is wonderful to memorize Scripture. The Bible encourages us to hide God's Word in our heart. No question about it. But if you don't memorize it and meditate on it, you're missing something. The word meditate on something means to chatter. That's what the Hebrew word means. It means to chatter. You remember Little League Baseball? Hey, batter, batter, batter. Chatter, chatter, chatter. You got little Johnny out there. He's picking roses. He's picking weeds. And he's got a cup of dirt over here. Hey, batter, batter, batter. Chatter, 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 chatter. That's what you would do. Well, the idea is we take in, we delight in God's word. And we batter, batter, batter. Chatter, chatter, chatter. We repeat it. We meditate on it over and over again. We meditate on it daily. The word for meditate is an illustration that's been used for years. It's It's about an old cow chewing a cud. Listen very carefully to me. Have you ever noticed, when I lived in Kansas, there was a road that I walked, and the cows, you know, people in church will talk back to you, but cows will just respond to you with a moo. (laughs) you got to catch them while they're eating, so they can all be eating, and you can say, moo, moo, and all of a sudden, man, they look up, lock eyes with you, and you've got their attention. You know what they're doing? They're chewing a cud. And you know what they do? They're, they're hungry, so they chew this old cud and they chew it. And you know what they do? They swallow that cud. But you know what happens later in the day? They don't get another meal. You know what they do? They regurgitate that cud. I'm telling you the truth. And they spit it back up. I'm trying to give you a visual picture of the word meditate. And they spit that old cud back up and they chew it again. And when they get hungry, they have two stomachs. And they just slide it over to me, and then they get hungry, and they, eat, they chew on that old cud. Now listen, the word meditate means to chew on the cud of God's Word. When you meditate on God's Word and you go through a situation in your life, God will burp up that passage that you have meditated on and chatter, chatter, batter, batter that passage, and it will minister to you because you have not memorized the passage. You have meditated on God's Word. It's about you getting the Word of God in you. It's not about God getting His Word to you. It's about you getting His Word in you. In the law, it says, meditate on it. So you got to let God's Word get in you. So when you meditate on God's Word, when you dive into God's Word and you delight in God's Word and you do it daily and you do it deeply, God begins to put roots down in your life and He begins to show Himself strong in you. And the reason some of you fall off the path is because you never meditate on God's Word. Just meditate on it. If it's three minutes, if it's two minutes, meditate on it. Read it. Reread it. And don't just read the Word of God. Let the Word of God read you. Meditate on it. So when you need to burp that passage up... God does it in your life. And you'll find that he puts you right in the position and you'll go, wait a minute, Psalm 1 says, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. So you just walk away from that friend that's giving you bad counsel. Now, that's what he says here. So we meditate on the word of God. We do it daily. We do it deeply. We do it delightfully. We we love to do this. Then he says in verse 3, I'm going to have to hurry. He shall. Because of this 
word of God that is so powerful, that is so real in our lives. He shall be like a tree that is planted by streams of water, rivers of water, if you will. See, the land that these trees would be planted in would be desert land. So they oftentimes had to irrigate, and oftentimes that irrigated water would not make it all the way to the roots of the trees. So what would happen is there would be canals that would be cut under the ground in order to nourish this tree. So the idea is this. When I begin to delight and I begin to meditate on God's Word, it makes me like a tree that is firmly planted. And I'm getting nourishment in my soul because God's Word is nourishment for me and it's life for me. So he's like a tree planted by streams of water that brings forth its fruit. Look at the text. In season, whose leaf shall also not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The word prosper means not prosperity theology. Listen, you can just throw that stuff out the window. Most of the stuff we see on TV, there's some guys making a lot of good money off of people. Send me $10 and I'll make you have a million. Let me tell you what the word prosper means. It means that somebody will prosper when they delight in God's word, when you get in God's word and God's word gets in you, you will prosper spiritually. You will succeed spiritually. You will have effective ministry spiritually. And it's a direct relation not to your money. It's in a direct relation to your heart. And your heart needs to be planted by streams of water by the word of God. There's stability in a person's life when they're planted by the word of God in a position. No matter what storm has come your way, you can stand firm in the gospel because you're delighting in God and he has you firmly planted by streams of water. Notice the text. The ungodly are not so. So here's the other people. The wicked, the godly. The ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. You know what chaff is? When farmers back in this day would um, thresh the grain from the floor, they would run a machine over it. It would just knock off. It would kind of harvest the kernels and the chaff, and they would fall to the ground. Then they would run this something over it, which would separate the chaff from the kernel. Then they would take a pitchfork, kind of lift it up, and when you do, the chaff blows away, but the grain is separated from the chaff. So the Bible talks about the godly are separated from the wicked. There are a lot of people that look like they're godly, but the chaff, the chaff is really the issue. The chaff is going to be blown away. God really knows the heart of every person. So it says, but the ungodly are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish. So here's the issue. Is God your way? It says, for the Lord knows the righteous. The word knows there means an intimate relationship and fellowship with. The question is not so much, do you know God? Now listen to me. Does God really know you? Because if God knows you, that means you have entered into a fellowship and relationship with him through his son. Because he says here, the wicked, they're going to go away like the chaff. The chaff is going to drive them away. And the sinners are not going to stand in the congregation of the righteous. And the ungodly are not going to stand in the judgment. So there's an eternal judgment. And a person who doesn't know God personally through Jesus Christ, there is an eternal damnation that takes place, an eternal separation based on the fact that they choose not to have God as their way. 
But then the Bible says that God knows the way of the righteous as well as the way of the ungodly. So the way of the righteous, whereas there is eternal separation and damnation for the person that rejects God as their way, there is eternal life and security, and eternal is forever and ever for those of us that are righteous when God knows that we belong to Him by faith in Jesus Christ. For the Lord, look at verse 6, knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You know, a lot of people say when, you, when you're dead, you're done. That's not true. When you're dead and you've rejected Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're eternally separated from Him. It's not annihilation where we cease to exist. It's separation from the God who has made a way for you. You have chosen to reject Him as the way. So that's what eternal damnation is and is separation from God. The ungodly will perish, which means they will forever live in eternal separation from God. And I'm just wondering if there's someone here today that you don't really know God as your way personally. You understand that God is the way, but is He really your way? Is He your way? And today you can get on a path to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior if you'll trust God as your way, if you'll receive Jesus as your Savior. Some of you are off course. You've made some bad decisions. You're actually on a path of destruction like the psalmist said. All you have to do today is say, I want God as my way. And God said, I have already given you Jesus. You can trust Christ as your Savior today, and you can get off the path that you were on, and you can get on the right path today, and you can begin to delight in God's Word, because God's Word is about a relationship. It's not about a book you put on a shelf and you read once a year. It is living truth in our lives, and we see God's Word, and we delight in God's Word, and we love God's Word, and we deeply meditate on God's Word, and when the storms come in our life, when the fog comes in our life, and a storm cloud comes in, we put our eyes on what is fixed and certain, and that's God who loves me and who loves you and who has a plan for your life. What problem do you have in your life today that a resurrected Jesus can't solve? There's not one. 